0: The Brandon Tatum Show is on KTAR News, 92.3 FM.
1: I hope y'all can hear me out there. Oh, I sound good. So let's get into this real quick. I want to do something new this weekend. I want to do this. This type of uh, news reporting that's heavy hitting, kind of like a two minute drill type thing. So I want y'all to to roll with me on this one. So I'm going to talk about about four stories. I'm going to give my take on it real quick. Some of the top things that I've thought of this week. Some things that I think is very interesting, whether it's national or some local information for you. So we're going to start out, first of all, with a story that I think a lot of people have already heard. Um, the gentleman and I, I'm i sure that y'all have an opinion about this. but Antonio Brown somehow found himself getting kicked off of two teams in about 11 days. So we were at the at the uh, coffee place, and you know, the young lady said, "How you get fired twice on your day off?" <laughs> but I just don't understand why this young man have used all of that God given talent. I, I want to say used it. He used it, and now he's abused it in a way in which he's lost 30 million dollars guaranteed money. Come on, man! Have y'all seen that 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 sports uh, broadcasting where they use the word "come on, man"? When somebody do something silly, well, a person that had all that in his hands decided to screw it all away because of his arrogance. And I said this a while ago. Sometimes God can bless you and take your career somewhere. Your your I guess I can say your character can't hold you. And for that brother to be that talented and lose all that money, it's asinine to me. Another big story that I'm thinking about. I've been talking about this for, I don't know, two or three years now. I think it it occurred a few years ago. Everybody's talking about gun violence, but most people are forgetting about the gun violence in Chicago. Now, here's a story of a young man uh, What was nine years old, a kid. He's a little kid. I have a nine-year-old. Innocent. Have nothing to do with gang violence. Simply bouncing a basketball on his way home. And what happened? Some thugs decide to run up on him and shoot him dead. They killed him execution style. And this week, the, the perpetrators, the right Doty was the main guy. He was the gunman. Apparently, he bla- he bragged in jail about how he killed the kid. And I, I think it's important for us to touch on a little bit more about exactly what happened, right? This kid is walking down the alley. I'm, I, I'm, I'm assuming from the things that I've read and and apparently I I mean, I'm believing that they're accurate that his dad got into an altercation with these guys. And this was a retaliation from something that he did referring to the story of the young brother in uh, Chicago, just for if y'all just joining, but he was walking down the alley. They run up to him. They shoot him in the head in the body. They put cigarette butts out on the boy. And his grandmother had to find him literally laying in a pool of blood. And that's I still get angry because I don't see a T-shirt anywhere in these neighborhoods with his name on it. I don't see people talking about gun restriction and gun violence when mentioning a nine year old boy getting slaughtered, murdered, execution style. And I know that I know that this pricks the heart of people, but this was definitely a story that got to me. And it definitely was going to make the two-minute drill. So let's talk about the next story. Let's jump into an Arizona-based story, a local story of a guy. Can y'all help me understand, how do you get so drunk that you drive on the wrong side of the road? I'm I'm not understanding this. First of all, how do you get so drunk that you can't drive? You know what I'm saying? I'm not advocating for people drinking and driving. But, brother, if you can't walk – why would you get in a car? And and we've seen this locally happen more often than it should. People driving down the wrong way on the freeways. Now, I I'll, I'll give you a pass to a certain degree that these freeways can be very confusing, right? It can be very confusing. We were driving up the I-10 just recently and and it's completely shut off. I can see how if it's dark and there's not it's not well lit, somebody can accidentally drive down a, the wrong way. I I forget the intersection that I was at. I was in an Uber and a gentleman was driving and we almost went on the wrong side of the road and both of us are sober. Now the difficulties of navigating some of these crazy loony highways in Phoenix, adding some vodka with it, it's a, it's a recipe for a disaster, but the gentleman named Garrett Williams, I don't know if his name really matters. He's 20 years old. He got um, charged with two counts of aggravated DUI They literally had to chase them down after getting several 911 calls. But this is a problem not only when it comes to Arizona drivers and people driving down the wrong way, but it is a huge problem with people drinking and driving. And a lot of people may not articulate this well. They may not talk about it often. But drinking and driving in this country has been a key death toll, I guess, to American citizens that's completely avoidable. It's completely avoidable. I mean, I, I'm not going to say on you know having children out of wedlock and all this stuff. That's completely avoidable as well. If you don't want to have kids, then don't lay up and bump and grind. If you don't want to get a DUI, then you probably shouldn't be drinking and driving a motor vehicle. So he got what he deserved. Let's go to the next story, and and this is this is one that touched home to me because my first experience voting, and some people probably don't realize this, but in Arizona there's a restriction in the primaries that if you are registered, I would say as an independent and the two primary candidates are one Democrat, one Republican. If you're registered independent, you can't vote in the primary unless you change your registration. And a, a lot of people essentially miss out. So the story is that some people on the Democratic side are advocating that independents be allowed to vote in this coming election. And I have to say, I'm not a Democrat and I don't in any way support the democratic party. But I, what I can say is that I think that this is a positive measure because there's a lot of independence in our, in our state. I think majority of the voters are probably independent and they need a voice too. unfortunately there will never be, there will never be, A successful independent, at least in my uh, time moving forward, it's only going to come down to Democrat and Republican. Now, I wish that there was an opportunity for people to get a fresh shake or for someone to be able to be competitive and people not vote party line. But for the sake of this argument, there's not going to be an independent. And where do the independent voters? Where are they going to go? They're obviously going to be forced to vote one way. If they open it up in Arizona to where you have an open election, then we will see a tremendous turnout in the primary that we probably haven't seen given the fact that there's only been Republican and Democrat that you know, democratic candidates that have a chance to win my, my expectation or or my prediction is going to be that the Republicans going to see a lot more votes. They will benefit from this with a lot more votes than the democratic side. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think about it? But I'm, I'm also, Kind of hoping that it it turns out that way. (laughs) I I, want to be impartial. I want to seem like I I really want both sides to to have a a, a, I I do want a fair chance, but I'm not voting for both sides. Right. You know, I'm not rooting for both sides. I'm hoping that the Republicans dominate in the primary. And I'm hoping that President Trump obviously wins in the uh, the general election. So those stories are the hot topics. What I want to do is let you guys know that we're going to talk about a few things on the on the show moving forward. A couple more segments. We're going to talk about law enforcement in the next segment. And I have to, you know, you know, I have to talk about law enforcement, given the fact that I'm a former law enforcement officer here in the state of Arizona. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into what Candace Owens said in a congressional hearing, which was fire. <laughs> fire somebody need to call nine one one and had a fire department put out all that fire she let go and then i got a special guest i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna let y'all know y'all just gonna have to stay tuned i have a special guest on the last segment at the bottom of the hour you're listening to the brandon tatum show on ktar y'all make sure y'all stay tuned the brandon tatum the brandon show. tatum show ktar news 92.3 fm i hope you guys are out there driving safe with your seatbelts on. I'm an advocate for wearing your seatbelt. Personal reasons as well. You know, I had a family member get in a car accident and was ejected from the vehicle. Thank God that, you know, God saw it fit to save his life. And uh, he's still living today. But a lot of people aren't lucky. So if you're listening to me, you better have your seatbelt on. But let's get into this law enforcement thing, man. I'm big on law enforcement. If I could talk every segment about law enforcement, I probably would. And most of y'all will probably listen to me because if you ask Corinne, and y'all don't know Corinne, my beautiful girlfriend, if you ask Corinne, she loved my police stories. She listens to me all day talk about the gory ones, the fun ones, dirty ones, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. When I say dirty, I mean legal, though. Not like that uh, DPS officer that was groping people on traffic stops. No, that ain't me. But law enforcement, and I say the job as a as a police officer it's probably one of the greatest honors to, to have in the country. I mean, I've never served in the military. I know, I know that it's honorable. But I tell you what, being a police officer, day to day, dealing with the public, wearing the badge, I mean, it is one of the greatest experience that I've ever had. And unfortunately, people in this country, some people, not all, they find it necessary to jump on a bandwagon of talking dirty about police. I say dirty. I don't like to use that word dirty, but talking bad about police officers or falling into the narrative that police officers are out here just murdering people at will and and not being held accountable. I I think that's the biggest crock of crap that I've ever heard. If there's anything, if there's anything bigger, let me know. But that's the biggest one that I know of. Police are out every day protecting and serving. Most of y'all, when you pull up to your house, you're eating dinner, or whatever, when you go to sleep tonight, police officers are out working tirelessly, even when they don't feel like it. You know, you get into it with your spouse or whatever. Some of y'all some of y'all are married, get into it with your spouse, get into it with your girlfriend, having a bad day. When you're a cop, it don't matter. You still have to show up. You still have to put, put on a face uh, of care, concern, humility when you're dealing with the public. Another thing that that has gotten to me about negative lies regarding police rhetoric is the idea that cops are out here just killing black folks. I just, I I, I hate when I hear people say that and I hate to have to give this stat, even though it's true, but cops kill more white people than they do black people twice as many. If you look at the numbers and and you know what they say to me, Brandon, but there's more white people than there are black people. And that's the reason why they're doing it. And it's like, no, but cops only deal with the criminal element. They don't deal with every single person in the population. And if you look at the stats nationwide, I'm not talking about individual communities. I'm talking about nationwide. You look at stats nationwide, African-American people, unfortunately commit a heck of a lot of crime per capita and a heck of a lot of crime. When you look at the totality of numbers, for instance, Let's say African-American people make up 13 percent of the population, but the people who are committing the most crimes aren't elderly women, elderly men, young kids. It's normally men between the age of about 15, 16 to 35. Can, can we can we all agree to that? that? That's a fair statement across any racial lines. But since we're talking about the African-American community, that's a fair assessment. Let me be conservative. Let me let me let me push the number a little higher than what it probably is. Let's say that's about seven, seven percent of the population, about seven percent of the population commits almost half of the murders in this country. Over half of violent crimes in this country. So police are going to overwhelmingly be patrolling in these communities and have interactions with these individuals. With that being said, they shoot twice as many white people as they do black people. Another statistic that people may not recognize, you can look at any FBI statistic this year, is that you talk about unarmed shootings. Anyone that have a perception of shootings and use of force understand that just because you're unarmed don't mean that you're not a deadly threat. And it doesn't mean that officers can't use deadly force against you. If you disagree with me, then you might want to go do a little research. You might want to look at the Arizona Revised Statute it'll let you know what officers can and can't do and what necessitates a deadly threat. But when you look at nationwide unarmed persons being shot by police, there have been twice as many white people shot unarmed than black people. If you look at the, if you listen to the media, you look at the television, you will be lulled into believing that black people are uniquely dealing with officers in a way in which some people believe that's unacceptable Speaking of people getting shot unarmed, it's just it's just not true. Look at this, for example. Let's look at the totality of police response. I'll give you an example of something that I know, not something I read in the book, but something I know for a fact. When I was in Arizona as a police officer in Tucson, I mean, we would take about a thousand calls of service per day. Twelve hundred sometimes when it's hot. So average out to about a thousand calls a day. We do it every day. We don't take a day off. 365 days in a year, that's 365,000 calls, right? If, you do, if my math is correct. Now, we deal with, I don't know, four or five people per call, depending on the circumstance, and you multiply 365,000 times five. I mean, with millions of people that we deal with on a on an annual basis. Go and look and do research and say how many officer involved shootings have happened. We would have probably eight in one year. Out of millions of interactions with people, eight officer-involved shootings. That's not a lot of shootings. Most people who are law enforcement officers never use their service pistol, rifle, on duty. I was on a SWAT team. I was a police officer in the most dangerous areas of Tucson. People don't realize this. Tucson is the most dangerous city in the state per capita. I think the only one, I mean, with 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 a city a certain size. Keep it that way, because South Tucson is leading, but they're a square mile. So. Most dangerous city. Pull my gun, probably, I don't know, four or five times a week. Never had to shoot anybody. Never had to shoot anybody. I remember when Villasenor was the chief of police in Tucson, he was a police officer for 32 years or so. Retired, never shot anybody. So if people are having this idea if people are having this idea that cops are continuously shooting people and, and um, you know, murdering people for no reason, you might want to do a little more research. Am I out of time or am I? Okay. I just want to make sure I'm on. Y'all know I can talk. Y'all know I can talk. So I'm not, in our next segment, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about some interesting stuff. I really want to talk about Candace Owens, my sister. Make sure you tune in for the next segment. You're listening to The Brandon Tatum Show on K T-A-R.
0: FM and the KTAR News app. This is the Brandon Tatum Show. The Brandon Tatum Show on KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app.
1: Welcome back to the Brandon Tatum Show. If y'all don't already follow me on social media, you're making a huge mistake. Follow me on social media at The Officer Tatum. I always forget to plug my social media. It's it's always entertaining. It's good stuff. I talk a lot of trash on Twitter. Um, so make sure you go and follow me on all of my social media platforms. So I want to talk in this segment about my sister, somebody that, I mean, I literally consider her to be like my little sister because she's younger than me. Now, she's more big time than I am, but she's younger than me. Um, we were just at her wedding. Wonderful young lady. I want to talk about Candace Owens. Most people that are watching this probably already have seen the the um, congressional hearings. And ignorant enough, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant to this for, for two reasons, of why in the world are we talking about white supremacy in a congressional hearing as it relates to the black community? Now, on face value, one would think, yeah, white supremacy is, is, is really hurting black people. The, the nature of white supremacy is affecting or negative negative towards black people but in reality growing up as a black man 32 years i what is white supremacy what what, a white man ain't never done nothing wrong to me and maybe they tried but in 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 my day and age it ain't like it was in the 60s I, i can drink out of the same water fountain as all my white friends i you know we we go to the same school same club same radio station Think about this for a minute. I bet a white, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm assuming a white man own this thing. It ain't a black man. And if it is, I'm sorry, sir. But the people that's running the staff back here, a lot of, they're white people. And they love me. And I love them back. So this white supremacy in America, like I'm supposed to run around and have my head between, you know, my tail tucked between my legs, whatever you want to call it. I almost said something dirty. But I caught myself. It's, it's BS, but I want y'all to hear what Candace Owens said in a congressional hearing. I can't play it all. I wish I could, but I can't play it all because it'll take the whole segment. But she she just continues to hit people with haymakers, make making these politics. These are people that we elect and we, we we swear by that they're the at least the more intelligent people in our society that are going to legislate for us. And she make them look like I'm not going to use that word. Just listen to what she got to say.
2: Thank you, Chairman, for the opportunity to testify. Um, I just want to testify just as a a black American today. And uh, I want to first start off by saying that white supremacy is indeed real. uh, But despite the media's obsessive coverage of it, it represents an isolated, uncoordinated, and fringe occurrence uh, within America. Facts. It's a fringe occurrence that is being used, in my opinion, by Democrats to scare Americans into giving up their votes to a party that can no longer win based on simple ideas. Facts. Which is why we're seeing so many of these hearings back to back, despite other threats that are facing this nation. I want to reiterate that point. White supremacy is real, just as racism is real. But neither of these ideologies are real in this room. They have become mechanisms for the left to continue to call these hearings and to to distract from much bigger issues that are facing this country and which threaten minorities.
1: And I want y'all to hear, I mean, facts. I almost forgot to say that. Facts. What I want y'all to, to listen to, because she's going to get into it and I'm going to expand on it. Um, what are the things that are facing black America today? What, you mean, we, we, White supremacy is definitely not affecting us at all. But what are the things that are affecting the black community that we
2: should be having a hearing for? Let, let, let's, Candace, Candace, take it away. Much bigger issues that they are responsible for. White nationalism sounds a lot better as a threat than father absence. When are we going to call a hearing on the 74% of single motherhood rate in black America today?
1: Facts. Listen, 70 plus percent. And back when Jim Crow and all this other stuff was going against black people, we had more young people being born into two parent homes than we see today. I think the, the single parent rate was like 20 some percent. Now it's up in the 70s. Come on, Candace.
2: My guess is probably never. Since Democrats are the author of that epidemic, which leaves us, black Americans, 20 times more likely to end up in prison, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, and five times more likely to lead a life in poverty and to commit crime.
1: What, else, what, what are they going to say to this? I mean, I, you're, you're having a, a, a black woman tell you, not only through experience, but through facts, what's really going on in our country in the black community and the things that we need to be addressing. And they won't choose they want us to believe that the, the white man, the boogeyman is out here trying to hurt us. It's just, it's just not happening that way. Single parent homes is a problem. The education system has become a problem when, when, when young people aren't, you, I would graduate in high school or, or, or being found that they don't even have a 12th grade education or at least the knowledge or, or proficiency for a 12th grader. They don't have that. How are you going to be successful in this world? I, I've never in my life been ro- been rolling through the black community uh, in the all black school I went to and all black community I lived in and was worried about what white people were doing. I didn't see white people. I saw black people. I've never walked outside and been like, man, I hope these white people don't do a drive by at my house. I ain't never walked outside and, and, and was more worried about police than I were about gang members. It just it's not occurring. And a lot of people try to push it on the people on the right, mostly Democratic candidates. And people say, you know, the Republicans. No, Republicans, to be honest, aren't even in your communities. It's the Democrats. If you want to talk about racism, talk about the Democrats. Don't talk about Republicans. Don't talk about white nationalism. You need to be talking about what the Democratic Party is doing to further the things that Candace Owens has said that made our communities bad. So not not every community, I'm not saying every community, but a lot of our communities are struggling because of these factors. Now, I'm running out of time. He gave me the one-minute warning. We were joking in the break um, about what signs to give me so I could stop. And my girlfriend said if they put fried chicken up there that I'll probably uh, catch it a little better. But I called her a racist, and she she cut it out real fast. No, I'm just playing. I'm told. She did say fried chicken. We were joking, though. She's not a racist. Her white supremacy haven't shown through, at least not yet. I have a special guest coming up in the next segment. My brother, Adrian Norman. Y'all better stay tuned because we finna get it in. We finna go hard in the paint. Y'all listening to the Brandon Tatum Show on KTAR.
0: Brandon Tatum, KTAR News, 92.3 FM.
1: Welcome back. Man, that song go hard. I ain't gonna even lie. I like that song a lot. Welcome back. I have my brother, Adrian Norman, in the house, man. We've been really good friends over the last couple years. He's a great man. Always informative on social media. He's a writer for the Epic Times. Brand new author of a new book. We ain't revealing it. We ain't, we ain't, we, hey, you it's the suspense. It's gonna get to you. But I could tell you what it's about. Is specifically addressing the issue of election fraud and election fraud is big. And if you don't think it's big in Arizona, you probably want to do some more research. But, um, Adrian, why did you make the book? I mean, you know, with all the things you could talk about, I mean, you're a man of, uh, to have a wealth of wisdom. Why did you feel it to be necessary in this
0: time in this age to to make a book like that? Thanks for having me on, man. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I chose this topic because we we hear so much about we hear so much about uh, voter suppression and we see things that are going on with with them wanting to label with the left wanting to label everybody racist uh, for wanting simple measures like like voter ID, um, things of that nature. So I kind of wanted to dig into the issue a little bit myself and, and learn the facts about what was really happening with our election system and how secure our system was. Or wasn't. And, uh, I, you know, I approached this book from a perspective of uh, just wanting to, to to understand the issue better. I didn't have any preconceived notions about what I would find. I didn't make predeterminations about which side was more guilty than the other. I said, I just want to let the information take me wherever it's going to lead me. And but you, but, 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 full disclosure,
1: you and I are both brothers, right? And, and black folks, right? We're two black men. And we both support Trump. Is that correct or maybe not? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm to say, don't you get on my show and lie. So we both the Trump supporters. And I think it's it's reasonable to, to to make that statement because people don't understand or they don't think that we exist. I mean, we may it may be like me and you and two other people, but we still exist. But with that being said, you didn't use any bias when you researched. You, you didn't try to make it seem like it would sway um, towards the Republican Party. You've actually found things that
0: would be to the contrary, correct or no? Well, I mean, what I found is it's taking place on both sides. And and they're just – what you hear a lot of times when you hear the issue of voter fraud come up, you hear you – hear, if you ask a conservative, does voter fraud exist, you're going to get the answer yes. If you were to ask a progressive, a leftist, a, a, a liberal, uh, if they think voter fraud is real or election fraud, you're going to get an answer that says something like, well, there, there, there's no evidence of widespread – voter fraud, right? Why is that, though? Why is that? Well, I think... Well, we know why it is, because it, it, <laughs> we, have, we have countless examples of this happening. I mean, in, in Texas, they they found uh, that roughly 93,000 illegal aliens were registered to vote, but 58,000 of them were actually voting in elections, Um, We have multiple states and counties throughout the country where we have millions more people registered to vote than eligible voters. Uh, We have evidence in terms of uh, video evidence that was released by Judicial Watch of Democratic officials talking about how they were busing people from polling station to polling station. So there's a long documented track record. And actually, if you really want to get into the details, the track record goes back to the 1700s. For when voter fraud actually started, so this is an old issue. This so is they've been
1: well. So they've been our government. What you essentially what you're saying? Our government has been corrupt as
0: far as securing voting in America. From you said what the you said how long ago? Well, I think if you, if, if you frame it that way, you say the government's corrupt. I, I think you're paying with too broad a stroke. There there are certain individuals. Who are, are corrupt and engage in this type of behavior? I wouldn't say the entire government is complicit. You have individual actors and individual campaigns and in individual states that are taking individual actions to to, to to benefit their preferred candidate or their preferred party in any given election. But
1: is the government doing? Is is our government,
0: whether it's state level or,
1: or federal level, are they doing enough to make sure that our votes count? Absolutely not. So, <laughs> so then again, I could say that the government. I, I think that they're you know, um, implicit in this. That they aren't doing enough. I personally think that they are intentionally not doing enough. What do you I mean? Do you think that they're intentionally
0: doing it, or do you think that somehow, with any profession, there's bad actors? You well, know? again, I wouldn't say it's intentional. What I would say, though, is that whenever you start to, to tackle this issue, right, we, we see certain things take place. We see uh, uh, labels, again, what's, what, what happens frequently is that you hear labels like racism. You hear voter suppression, which is really just a proxy for racism, come up anytime you talk about a measure that would have the impact of reducing uh, voter fraud in the United States. Anytime a Republican suggests, for instance, voter ID, you know, the, the first thing they throw in your face is, is voter suppression. It's going to disenfranchise minorities, disenfranchise the elderly, and nothing could be further from the truth. Because what? we got studies that show that after voter ID laws had been implemented, there are multiple states where voter turnout actually increased. Now, uh, you know a lot of the people who are voting in, in, in our elections are from south of the border. Um, I know people talk about the the, the immigrants who, who who have overstayed their visas, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't I don't think the data supports that that's the majority of the people who are who would be voting illegally in our elections. But the the irony with this is that um, if, if we look to our neighbor to the south, Mexico, they have a very strict voter ID policy themselves. So back in uh, they they from 1990 to 1991, they went door to door to build their voter uh, their voter roll registry. They got 16 million million names on it, right? They went house to house. Now, for anybody who wanted to add their name to the voter roll after that, you had to physically show up at an election office. You had to present ID. You had to give them your signature. (laughs) You had to take a picture. And then it took about three to four weeks to print. And then when you go to pick up your voter ID, you got to show an ID again. So so, so what you're telling me is that Mexico
1: have stricter rules – or regulations around voting than than we do here in America in some states exactly right and, and so in most states most states and also what you're saying is that given given the argument that they tr- attempt to make you and I shouldn't have an ID right or maybe you have one and I don't have one because we're black and it's an adversity for us to have an ID but we can go and utilize our identification to buy cigars or whatever. If we want to get a drink at 21 years old, we have to show ID. You and I both have flown on flights. So we can do – somehow we can manage to do all of that, but we can't manage to get an identification to vote. You, We were talking a little bit about in – I think it was New York where you have a situation where – correct me if, I'm, if I have the state wrong – where you have a situation where they're granting people identifications, not driver's license, but identifications, which they're then in turn using – to vote and they're not vetting the identification development, which let me explain. So if you go to a, a facility and you want to get an ID, they're not verifying that you say that you're John Smith. They're not verifying that you can say I'm John Smith. This is my date of birth or whatever. And they print it out. So if, if I had a dead family member or if I had a legal citizen whom I knew or had information on, I stole their ID or whatever the case may be. I can go get an ID card and
0: use their name is it. it have you found that? Is that true, or am I tripping? Yeah, and then you also have other states like California where they're they're actively just handing out drivers' licenses and other forms of of ID to to people who they know are in the country illegally, but they know full well that these people are going to be registered to vote. And, and again, in in some jurisdictions like in California, they have systems where that you get automatically registered to vote. And and they had a uh, twenty three thousand people accidentally, quote unquote. Get registered to vote, and over 1,500 illegal aliens accidentally, automatically registered to vote. So we, we, you know, we have systems in place to where people who we know are in the country illegally are getting the credentials that they need, that they can then t- use to to cast ballots, which they're doing every single election cycle. Right. So I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a a gambling man, but
1: if I were to take a chance and just make a hypothetical statement to say that it appears to me that the people who are advocating for illegal immigrants to come into this country almost unvetted, they're demon they, they used to support it, but now they're demonizing. That side are the ones that are benefiting. The reason that they're letting them come in because they are benefiting in the voting realm. For instance, California. I remember watching the election in 2016, Trump was winning until he got to California. I mean I'm saying winning the popular vote. I thought he was up like a million. And I was like, dang, he finna win not only in the electoral college, but he's gonna win the popular vote. And then after California, he went down like three million votes. And we all know that they California is a sanctuary state. They don't care almost who they let in. And it's not because they care about the citizens. It's because they want a new voting class. Am I tripping or let me know if I'm
0: tripping. Is that something that you see or is Brandon Taylor making this up? Well I mean it's it's a couple different couple different issues in what you just brought up there. Um I mean in terms of in terms of the votes just materializing out of nowhere, we're seeing that not only in California but also in Florida through a practice called ballot harvesting where you have a political operative basically go and pick up ballots and uh, <laughs> they 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 pick up ballots from people who have filled out an absentee ballot or a mail-in ballot, and then they they drop it off and and submit that ballot on behalf of the voter rather than the voter themselves. But what we see is that across the country, that well, in places where ballot harvesting is legal, that system has been greatly abused. And and again, if if you read the book, I give you some details and some facts on some 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 really disturbing <laughs> disturbing things that are happening around the country. Um, and it's and, and no surprise that that where we have, you know, like in Florida, where where boxes of ballots are getting found, you know, days and, and, and weeks after the election, the results are getting changed and they're swinging one way. You know, it, it's very obvious what's happening. And again, I go into more, a little bit more detail in the book. Um, and I definitely want you to check it out because there, there's some really disturbing information behind what's really going on right
1: now. Yeah, we only have, I don't know, uh, 12 minutes to discuss this. And and, and I I can guarantee you because I know Adrian and I know he's been working hard on this thing for a long time. I had to be quiet on it. But but it's the, the time has come. And I think people need to read it. It, it, it gives you more information. You're going to learn more, more in-depth study, you know, or, or at least you would know where he's getting the information from. And people can become more informed. Another t- another topic I want to talk about, I want to change gear just for a minute because we only got a few minutes, is that the idea that two black men supporting the president of the United States um, has been viewed as, I don't know, controversial in America today. Right. You and I are not supposed to do that. We're sellouts because we support a man that is created a situation or environment or facilitated a, an environment that. The unemployment for African-Americans in this country is at a historic low. Other minorities as well. We're talking about black folks. At low, you're talking about um, the First Step Act. Tons of people who have been incarcerated under Democratic control, 25 to life, I mean not 25 to life, but three strikes you out, all of the above, are, get, are are able to now come home to their families, obviously being sent to prison for nonviolent crimes. I mean, we you talk about Urban Revitalization Coalition. I mean, the list can go on. I don't see why it's so controversial that people who identify that there's a candidate that at least have done material things for us. I mean, When I say material, I mean things that are not just coming out of his mouth, but he's actually legislating things that are benefiting us. Why in the world are we sellouts?
0: What what do you think, Adrian? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not. We're not. I mean, we're we're free to vote, our conscience. And and, and most of us, if you you sit down and have a real conversation with any Trump supporter— they will be able to tell you and articulate exactly why they support the president. They can tell you what policies they like. They can talk to you about the millions of jobs that are being created. They can talk to you about companies like Apple repatriating their money to the United States and paying taxes on it. They can tell you about the billions of dollars in capital investment. They can tell you about the urban revitalization plan and trying to get new investment into the black community and create new jobs for, for, for not only young black labor, but but, but for for the the entire urban area to, to to finally be able to to have a better chance to achieve the American dream.
1: Yeah and, and great end that point. We gotta run. But I'm gonna have you back on the on the show, Adrian, because we man, we have great conversations over the cigar, but we're gonna have it on the show. You're watching the Brandon Tatum show, make sure you go and follow Adrian on all of his social media. Get plug your media real quick. All social media is Adrian Norman DC. All right I'll see y'all next time you're watching the Brandon Tatum show K T A R. Peace.